time for Inside the Gamecocks, the show with Phil Mullinax and J.C. Sherbert. So how many of you would say you speak English fairly well, but with some difficulty? Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You play to win the game. Now, let's take it away, J.C. and Phil. Monday, everyone. It's been good to be back. A game week again inside the Gamecocks. The show. I'm JC Sherbert. This is Phil Mullinax, trusty sidekick, co-host, producer extraordinaire. That's a uh, local radio in Columbia. That's uh, I think Phil Cornblut started that producer extraordinaire, uh, and I, I think we continue to call people that. But uh, we're certainly glad that you joined us today on a Monday. Uh, game week again. Carolina, Texas A&M, Saturday night, seven thirty p.m. Kickoff Eastern Time, SEC Network will do the television. Uh, big game, obviously, for a lot of reasons uh, for South Carolina. Uh, heading out of the bye week with a 4-2 and two record and a big win at Kentucky. And, um, <clears throat> Phil, what a, I mean, Carolina did not play, but what a weekend of football we just watched. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> it was incredible. Incredible. Lots of, lots of good games. I'm kind of glad we didn't play. That way we got to keep up and watch it all. <laughs> Yeah, lots of storming of the field. Uh, the game in Knoxville obviously took center stage. 52-49, Tennessee. Uh, all right, so I'm taking back, you know, uh, I, I think I've been wrong about Hypel in Tennessee. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah, I'm uh, just going to own that one now. <laughs> you, you know, man, uh, and, and Hooker is, is playing so well for them. He's such an accurate passer. They get vertical. Jalen Hyatt, who I know Gamecock fans are – you know, sending Brian McClendon thank you letters for not offering him. Uh, huge day. They did all this without Cedric Tillman, missing several starters on defense. Uh, I thought their defense did just enough early on, Phil, uh, to build that big lead. And this is kind of what they do. Uh, teams, I, I don't – and I, I had to question – shoot, forgive me for doing this. I had to question Nick Saban a little bit for the plan. It seemed like they came out and were just trying to fire it all over the field with Bryce Young. Um, instead of kind of lining up and running the ball and mm-hmm. uh, trying to work time off the clock and keep their offense off the field. I guess when you're Alabama, you, you think, well, you know, our defense is good enough. They should stop them. But they, they just couldn't all day. Um, and, boy, ten- Tennessee doesn't dink and dunk you, man. They go right down the field. I mean, it's no, vertical. Man. Yeah, this, this is straight, deep shots, <laughs> and they're wide open back there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unreal. I mean, it, it's unreal. And he puts the ball – right on the money. I mean, mm-hmm. he may be the most accurate. And he was accurate at Virginia Tech, too. And this is a another reason I don't understand. I guess Justin Fuente doesn't have a job now for a reason. I mean, you, you run that guy <laughs> off to replace him with Burmeister, who wasn't very good. Um, and, uh, you know, you see what happens there. Uh, it, it's crazy. I'm convinced Hooker, through a period in his career, Phil, did not practice very well. Um, yeah. this is my theory on that because uh, he didn't he got beat out at Virginia Tech, right? And then yeah. he did not win the job at Tennessee to begin with. Joe Milton did, yeah. Uh, and Joe Milton was horrible uh, <laughs> in, in games. And Milton gets hurt, and so Hooker has to come in, and the rest is history. But congrats to all like that. Yeah, they just you know gamers, yeah, no gamers. <laughs> so congrats to my all friends out there and to Vol Nation. Uh, been a long time coming. Sixteen years since they beaten tennis. I mean, since they beaten Alabama, uh, and they did it in one of the one of the better games I think we're going to see. Um, you know, and and 
you know, Clemson, Florida State was a bit disappointing. It was kind of Florida State made a run there at the end, and uh, Clemson really took control uh, in the second half or in the first half or third quarter or whatever. Uh, but FSU gave them a game, 34-28. Tigers won that one. Uh, Auburn Ole Miss was a surprisingly good football game. Uh, Auburn found its offense a little bit, I think. Uh, and then for you, for those of you that, you know, uh, are, are looking for some good news for the Gamecocks, I guess, you know, it's transitive property, so that matter. Kentucky's defense, wow, lights out yeah. against Mississippi State. They played uh, great. MSU only had 203 total yards. Uh, Wildcats win 27-17. Chris Rodriguez went off 196 yards uh, against them. Of course, Will Levis was back, and they kind of – Kentucky looked like its normal self. Uh, in that football game, they they got Mississippi caught Mississippi State caught in the spider web, so to speak, uh, and lots of penalties, you know. But hey, spider web teams sometimes rely on things like that. Um, I think the Gamecocks, to a certain extent, could be a, a spider web team uh, at times. I was putting up some video uh, of Chris Phillips' uh, interview with us last week from the Spurs Up Show, and he talked about how the game at Kentucky kind of reminded you of the Spurrier Spur era, where the D-line just sort of took over on the road uh, and did whatnot. So that was a heck of a weekend of college football. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. The poll question today, uh, I got this from putting up some uh, video clips as well, Juice Wells, uh, over under for catches in the game against AM. I got it at four and a half. So, um, you know, so far on the big spur, I think 70% says over. Um, so far on Twitter, I think the numbers are about the same. Um, and there are games he's done that. I mean, he has, I think, two seven-catch games and an eight-catch game. Uh, and then, you know, some games like Kentucky, it's three for 66 or whatever. But uh, I think Juice is going to be very important uh, on uh, Saturday night. And it may be that I just watched Jalen Hyatt go off, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and I saw him like, God, ah, speed, vertical, you know, take advantage of your speed on vertical passes or whatever. But that's uh, uh, that, that was kind of the, the opening uh, poll question for the week. We got David Cloninger coming in from the Charleston Post Courier uh, at eleven uh, thirty. Coming up, he, he now we're gonna it's gonna kind of get topical because he wrote a really good article about Mike Grosso. And, and those of you, I'm old enough to remember Phil. My dad used to talk about Carolina getting out of the ACC, mm-hmm. um, and Carolina was a basketball powerhouse, uh, an emerging basketball powerhouse, if you will. A lot of jealousy around the league about McGuire, Frank McGuire, and what he was doing with that program. Uh, And this situation, uh, you know, mandated by Duke and North Carolina and the the powers that be in the ACC at the time. And I say at the time because this this is that those schools have kind of run that league for a long time. I think it holds them back now. But uh, Mm -hmm. I think at the time – you know, that league uh, was kind of run by Duke and UNC, and then Wake and NC State sort of followed along. They were not happy with South Carolina being a basketball powerhouse, uh, and they they put up a lot of roadblocks. And, and David's going to kind of get into all that with us, plus we'll get his take on the first half of the football season. <clears throat> Always a good segment. I, I think we had a good segment with him the first time we had him on, uh, and I, I've just been neglectful in getting him back on. He, he's always funny and uh, has a good take on things and has been around this program, all the athletics programs at Carolina for years. Uh, Keith Allsup coming up at noon with his normal Monday breakdown. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll get his take on some of the games he watched this weekend. Plus, look ahead to Texas A and M 
with Keith. And then a sports chat box, as always. We love to get to it, Phil. Yes, right sir. Right here, right away. Crager says, what a weekend of football. Turns out the Kentucky defense is pretty damn good. Yeah, they showed out. <laughs> and, of course, Mississippi yeah. State let Rodriguez run all over them. Which yeah. Is like the exact way you don't want that game to go. <laughs> yeah, that's a, if you're in Mississippi State, here, you know, your, your idea is, hey, we need to, you know, score on offense, go up and down the field, and then keep Rodriguez from beating us. Neither one of those things happened for the Pirates nope. <laughs> on Saturday night. Poor guy. So rough go. Rough. Uh, that was that was a rough go of it for 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 Leach and and those guys. But uh, uh, certainly, um, yo, know, another game that, that was off the radar that normally is not. It's more like a CBS game. Florida and LSU. LSU got up off the mat. Yeah, <laughs> and beat the Gators forty five thirty five. I think this Florida team is average as grits. I, I just they they just aren't, you know. And somebody pointed this out to me because they I was like, well, you know, Napier with his offense and sort of the run dynamic of it, you know, they may want to win games thirteen ten. They were like, JC, they don't have the defense to win games thirteen yeah. ten. And, and as the season has gone along, uh, I think that's kind of been proven. You know, Florida's defense. Is susceptible. Uh, Daniel's the quarterback for LSU, the transfer from Arizona State. I think it is his best game. Um, and the the Bayou Bengals, after taking that whipping to Tennessee, they come back and beat the Gators. So they they had their SEC East buffet two weeks in a row. <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't know I don't know two years ago if anybody's sitting there going, yeah, they'll get slaughtered by home at home against Tennessee, and they beat Florida on the road by ten. <laughs> Well, they just let them get too far out ahead, and they can't catch up. I mean, yeah. that's the way it is, it's like, you know, it's exactly what you said. They're just not built to do it like that, and their defense isn't good to play like that. Yeah, uh, for the Gators, absolutely. All right, Nanosports chat box rolls on. Clint, the UT-Bama game was fantastic. Southern Cal-Utah game was classic as well. It was. Utes win on a two-point conversion, 43-42. So after Mike and I and Michael on the J.C. Morgan podcast last week talked about how the Los Angeles schools are on a collision course and how the Trojans could end up making the playoffs. Boy, they may not. And now there's no divisions in the Pac-12 anymore. I, I, I didn't realize that till last week. Oh, wow. um, so the Trojans could still get back in. It's a one-point loss. You, you gotta, it kind of just depends on everything. And, and the talk now is what if Tennessee loses to Georgia but wins out and goes 11-1 and one with a win over Bama? Uh, and then Georgia – goes the SEC championship game and loses to Bama, do all three get in? <laughs> what if you have a one-loss Ole Miss in the, <laughs> in the conversation, too? Yeah, Ole Miss, because Ole Miss hasn't yeah. lost yet. People have to realize, yeah, they have not lost. Yeah, uh, that, you know. I know. Yeah, it's it's weird to think about what a what an interesting year it could turn out to be. Yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt, Phil. So that's uh that's an interesting quandary right now. People are talking about uh, is uh, will Tennessee, will all three of those teams end up in the playoff? I uh, look. I mean, well, what if? I think it depends on who else is undefeated. Like if Clemson is undefeated, I think, and, and Ohio State obviously if they're undefeated, they're, they're going to get in. Yeah, in my opinion, yeah. Hmm. Uh, over and they'll just have to flip a coin. What they'll probably end up doing is that they'll probably screw Tennessee because uh, if they lose to Georgia and don't win the division, then, then they haven't won anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They haven't won a division. They haven't won a conference title. So uh, that's 
unfortunate, but I think that's probably, you know, what the situation will be uh, if that happens. And we have, but, but hey, Clemson's 11 and 1, 12 and 1. Uh, Ohio State loses a game between now and then. I mean, all bets are off, in, in my opinion. I, I think that that could happen if, if you're comparing one loss teams. But the committee has, has shown over the years, Phil, that they really like undefeated teams. Yeah, but you know, nobody. Yeah. Like Notre Dame got in a few years back and beat nobody. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, they beat a lot of name teams. Like they beat Florida State. They beat Virginia Tech on the road. And they beat Southern Cal. And all those teams were like six and six, five and seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they, they had one big win. It was at Michigan to open the year. And it was like, wow. Um, Brian says, morning, fellas. Great day to be alive and be a Gamecock. Amen. Yes, sir. Um, Mr. Eco Priest, finally get to watch live. I usually have to catch up at night. Good morning. Good to see y'all. Good morning. Yeah. Welcome into the Nana's Porch chat box. Welcome in. Uh, good morning, y'all. Give it to him, Todd Ellis. Ah, <laughs> uh, give it to him. <laughs> Clint is not sure how the helmet to face Max hit on Bryce Young wasn't targeting. Um, and Gene. Steratore is a total shill. He never says the rest miss a call. Hmm. Clint says Hyatt was too skinny, JC. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Here's, you know, sometimes when you're in this business, you sort of listen to people and you kind of, at times, uh, you're better off if you just go with your gut. At cornerback and at receiver, I've never been one that wants to sacrifice speed over size. Because I've seen so many – now, look, you could say, well, Jamias, Jam Williams was too small to play. Well, I think we figured that out after a couple of years. He was freshman All-SEC the first time out. He just couldn't stay healthy taking the pounding back there. Uh, but I'm talking like you, you can't recruit 6'1 corners that can't run over a 5'11 guy that can, you know, or even 5'9 mm-hmm. and a half, 5'10. There, there, there's – uh, you know, speed is the name of the game. I feel the same way at receiver. I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you do need size because you got to block and stuff. Well, we, we see sort of uh, how important perimeter blocking is. If you missed Friday's show, go back and listen to Wando talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, you do need that. But I, I think when you look uh, at, at Hyatt's speed, and he's gotten better and bigger and stronger, you can always get a guy bigger. You could not get a guy very much faster. You can get him somewhat faster. You can get him playing faster in a game, like at linebacker. You know, you know, everybody talks about, oh, this linebacker's slow. Well, eh, this linebacker's just not comfortable, you know, because he runs four, four, five. You know, he just looks slow. Um, so that's the deal there uh, with that. Tennessee's raised, Jared says, 34,000 to replace the goalpost so far. Um, Jeff Fowler says, morning, fellas. Boy. The hate for Tennessee is real, huh, huh gents? Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> they're they're back. Yeah. Good, good win for them, but bad news for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Always look forward to Monday. Go Cox and Semper Fi. Yes, sir. Thank you for um, your service. Stadium's going to be rocking Saturday night. No reason we can't have it just as lit as Tennessee did. Amen. Yeah. I, I think it will be. I, I think mm-hmm. I would expect, and this is a gut feeling, it's not. I don't have any inside information on this, but I would expect that um, they'll announce a sellout here this week, mm. you know, for the game. By the way, I, I auctioned off some uh, lodge box seats for Carolina Rise over the weekend. The, thank you. If any of you out there listening, 
uh, and you bid on it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, the winning bid uh, surpassed my expectations. So that's mm -hmm. good. And of course, all that money goes right back into Carolina Rise to help fund NIL deals for student athletes. So that's good. But uh, the uh, the interest in that was uh, was larger than I felt it would be. You know, so that means a lot of people are looking for tickets, a lot of people going to the game. Uh, everybody I've talked to, like my crew that went, I went uh, to Lexington with, they're all excited. I mean, they're fired up. Massive tail, the word massive tailgate came across my text uh, over the weekend. Lance Player, what's up, Killers? How are we doing today? So I can't wait to have a moment like Saturday night. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Clint says Mississippi State continues to face plant when the expectations are high. It is. If they didn't, if they didn't play on TV, they'd be undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't play on TV. Uh, Clint says he goes on Juice Wells. The poll question: He goes over four and a half catches with five against the Aggies. Okay. Um, Josh says, "Good morning, guys. First show I've gotten to listen to live. Love the show. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, thank you. No Cox and hoping to finally see our offense come together and play a complete game. Calling for Rattler to go over three hundred yards." Love to see it. Be about time. I'm trying to think. Mississippi State had success throwing it all over them, but uh, not a lot of other teams have. You know, Alabama couldn't really throw it on them, but they had their backup quarterback and all that. So we'll see. Uh, 76 Game Pack says excellent article on Grosso and Hoops, the whole ACC fiasco. Yeah, we're going to talk to David about that here in about 12 minutes. Easy E, offensive stats against Kentucky. Carolina was just as good or better than Napier, Kiffin, and Leach. Just saying. That's true. I mean, second half, too. I think Carolina only had 90 yards at halftime. Uh, so how many is that second half? 260-something in the second yeah. half? I mean, it, it, we are a second-half football team. <laughs> yeah. Beamer, I, wrote, I wrote about that last week on the Big Spur. Beamer's right. I mean, you look at every game this year – with the exception of Georgia, which was just a domination from start to finish, and the second half has been better. Even yeah. even South Carolina State, you know, Carolina's up twenty-two nothing. They win fifty to ten. There were some defensive breakdowns in the second half, but the offense played much better. So, especially offensively, uh, I think that's true. Uh, the problem is if 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 A and M's clicking on all cylinders uh, like they're capable of, and I use that that phrase a lot, play like you're capable of. You know, if you don't start well, they could have you in a hole and take the crowd out of the game pretty quick. Yeah, you know, especially if you if if uh, they're running back a cane is it is it pronounced a cane a cane a chain a chain a chain yeah a chain that's a heck of a name a chain. Uh, if you can't stop a chain, you know, gonna be a bad deal. Uh, Lance says we need to rush the field moment soon. It would be wonderful for that to happen November nineteenth when Tennessee comes to town. Clint said, or Will says, just make Anthony Richardson throw the ball. Hmm. Yeah, and sometimes he's good at it, and sometimes he's not. So that's <laughs> uh, Queasy says, am I wrong to think that the Gamecocks match up better against Tennessee than Alabama? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, somebody now, now that it's, and I think so, not, not lack of respect, but, you know, some of the teams, LSU and Bama the last couple of weeks especially, they, they've kind of taken let's play with fire approach with them. Mm. You know, you, you have to keep them off the field. I mean, and you have to do it with your offense. And you can't let them, 
you know, get up big early because they, they're a momentum team. And sure enough, you know, you're sitting there and Tennessee's up 28 to 10 in the second quarter. They scored 21 points in the first quarter. I mean, you let them start well, you're, you're, you're done. And LSU and Bama both the last two weeks have done that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I don't think Saban helped himself out any at the end of the game either going into that final field goal attempt. I mean, yeah. three straight passes. I'm like, why not try to run it? You got, I think they had two timeouts. <laughs> I would have run it and taken my chances in overtime. Yeah, I, I yeah. would. You know, I mean, and, and then you never know because Gibbs was getting lathered up. I mean, heck, Gibbs may break one. So, mm-hmm. You know, um, Craig says I sent JC a tweet saying that Muschamp recruited Caldwell, Wyman, and Rico Powers, but Hyatt wasn't good enough. Unreal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, Saunders throwing this out there. Anyone have suggestions for a tailgating spot? First game back for a tailgate since 2018. Not sure with the fair being in town, but our regular spot will be available. Yeah. Um, shop in Key Road. Probably be where I would go. So, uh, Quantrill says, man, I don't know. Watching the Florida State Clemson game, I'm surprised to see how well FSU ran the ball. They average 6.1 yards per carry. Maybe something Carolina can replicate. Yeah, they're still down 34-14. I know. They didn't, you know, they made some mistakes and stuff like that, and they could not stop Clemson's run. But I, yeah. I don't think FSU is a defensive juggernaut this year by any stretch. But uh, you know, I, the Clemson defense has been an interesting case study this year, Phil. I mean, they, I, I don't think they've been as dominant as people have thought. They've had dominant moments, mm-hmm. but they haven't been, you know, quite what I expected them to be. Now, on the other flip side, I think their offense is playing better than I expected it to be. Their balance, they. They run the ball. DJ is sort of playing within himself this year, you know, not trying to do too much. He's in better shape. He can run it better. Mm-hmm. So, uh, RB says, is there any chance we get the second half offense versus Kentucky to show up from the get-go? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, and we, we talked about this just the, in the second half against Kentucky. The tempo was much better. Not that they went fast tempo, but they were getting lined up and, and, and playing more with a purpose. It, it was very, very lethargic first half and live uh it's even more noticeable because you're not you know you don't have tv cutting to this shot and that shot you're literally just sitting there watching guys running i mean it was it was tough but they got better they got better um you know uh Queasy says he'll be at the texas a&m game the last game he went to was the auburn game in 2020 or, or last year 2021 two two straight home wins against auburn yeah so there could be a win i, I actually and leaning towards that score for my prediction, 21-17. Hmm. It's just a lean. It's a lean right now. Lean. Yeah, it's early. Yeah. <laughs> Clint says, have to start getting the ball vertically in the passing game to keep these kids interested. Yeah, uh, and and those of you that, that don't know what uh, what he's referencing, Mazio Bennett, the 2024 kid from Greenville High, did go ahead and commit to Tennessee. So, you know, and the, the reason stated was the offense. And uh, if you're a receiver, Tennessee offense looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and, and, and they, and the other thing about it is, and I don't want to talk about Tennessee too much today, but the other impressive thing about it is, you know, you have uh, two guys, uh, you know, they're doing this without Tillman, their top receiver. And you have two guys uh, in Keaton and Brew McCoy. Like Keaton was a high four-star guy out of Marietta. They were real high on, I think Pruitt got him. Um, hadn't done Jack, hadn't done diddly poo, 
Uh, and Tillman gets hurt, so he has to play. And all of a sudden, he's killing it. And Brew McCoy, if you'd ask me what, what's one guy out there that's a five-star that's going to bust completely and never do anything, it would have been Brew McCoy simply because of, like, the crazy transfers that he did and stuff. And I, I never really thought he was all that good to begin with. I mean, he was good, but uh, he was somebody that needed to work. Well, now you plug him into that system, and he's killing it. I mean, Brew McCoy's living up to the potential. Mm-hmm. So – there you go. Uh, Lance says the only way we match up against Tennessee is Lloyd going off. Uh, Saunders says he'd like to see more shots on first down if we're on their side of the field. Start attacking the end zone. You know, um, yeah. that's the thing there. Uh, RB says any truth to Jimbo Fisher's job being in jeopardy, the buyout's like $80 million. We have Jeff Tarpley coming on from – uh, yeah. Is it A and M Aggies twenty four seven something yeah. like that? Ags twenty four seven. Ags twenty four seven on Thursday or Wednesday. I'm sorry, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, right, right. Wednesday at the top of the show. Uh, so Tarp will talk about all that. I, you, you know, you just brought in. And this is this is the problem these days. I think sometimes with recruiting hype, uh, in the media, I think falls for it. People should know better. You looked at A&M this year. They had a lot of personnel losses from last season, right? A lot of personnel losses. Uh, you didn't really know what the situation was going to be at quarterback because you got Max Johnson, but then Haynes King only started one game last year. Then you got a five-star coming in. And I think people just assumed, oh, we're going to add this historically great recruiting class to their roster, and they're going to be a top-ten team. Well, that doesn't always happen. I mean, these guys are still young freshmen. And in college football, these days, like this year – there's a lot of older dudes because of the COVID year and stuff, a lot of six-year guys. And you're talking about 23-year-old men versus 18-year-old men, young men. I mean, that's that's the thing there. Uh, Craig says Aggies are going to sell out and stop Lloyd. This needs to be the game Rattler breaks out. Good. Bama had the punt miscue. Yeah, Bama just did not play well. It just they did not play well. Poor execution, so, penalties. It was just – they. Oh God, it was ugly. <laughs> Daddy O says, after seven weeks of watching college football, one thing I know for sure is anything's possible on any given Saturday. Nobody's safe. Nope. <laughs> That's the beauty of this game. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And Sonder, and I'll answer this, then we'll go to break and get David in here. Uh, Why well, was Hyatt passed over by Muschamp and McClendon? Was it a size frame thing that – you know, and Clemson was never interested. Well, Clemson – Look at how they recruit receivers, though. I mean, you know, I, I don't necessarily fault those guys. You know, South Carolina ended up in a situation where uh, there was an entire season where they really had one receiving threat, Shy Smith. And then last year they had, what, two? Most games? Yeah. 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 Uh, J- Josh Van and dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, all that good stuff. So that's the thing there. J-Rock says if we don't change our offense, we're going to miss out on a lot of recruits especially in-state guys we need to keep at home. Keeping these guys in SC is a big key to being the team we want to be. And uh, you make an excellent point, especially wide receiver, J-Rock, because this state produces D-linemen and wide receivers just about every year. You know, mm-hmm. So there's no reason to not be good at those two positions. And, and that's another reason like the whole pro-style offense thing baffles me a bit because, yeah, you want to run the ball, everybody does. But, you know, if you kind of look at, where you're recruiting from, there's always some really good receivers. You know, in South Carolina, they may not be rated that high, but but the, the, they're pretty good. So, um, yeah, that's the thing there. All right, gonna um, gonna jump off. Get to David Cloninger coming up on the other side. He's gonna 
have a history lesson for all of us, and we'll get his take on the first half of the football season right here on Inside the Gamecocks, the show on a Monday. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're a listener, you know I feel strongly that if you're in the upstate and are in need of real estate services, Cindy Searfoss is your go-to person. Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane uh, can help you with any of your realty needs right there in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Oconee, uh, Pickens, wherever you are. Cindy can help you with that. She's married to a die-hard Gamecock fan, has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or email ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E. That's Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Check her out. We've already gotten several emails from listeners uh, that are very impressed with her professionalism and her ability to help you with your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Sydney Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks. Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Attention golfers of all ages and skill sets. Former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor will be a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina very, very soon. You want to take advantage of this opportunity. If you're like me and you got to get a whole lot better at golf, or even if you're looking to refine your swing, Meredith is the person you need to go to. She's competing in her final USGA Mid-Amateur Tournament this summer before going full-time into teaching and coaching individuals. If you're in South Carolina, Meredith will be conducting in-person golf lessons at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course. She'll play 9 or 18 with you. If you're out of state, though, this is really exciting. She'll be conducting virtual lessons. You can send in your swing for her expert analysis. Also, in November, she'll launch an online course 
with video instruction for all ages and skill levels. Meredith has 20-plus years of knowledge, former SEC golfer, all of that. So contact her on Twitter, at Taylor at M-E-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or go to McKellarEnterprises.org. McKellar spelled M-C-K-E-L-L-A-R, Enterprises.org. Her email's on the website, so you can connect with her for any other questions. Go get your golf game in order. Take advantage of Meredith Taylor and her services. Yep, time to get back to the show. Shoot. All right, my man. Welcome back, everybody, to Inside the Gamecocks, the show. We are joined on the McKellar Enterprises guest line by David Cloninger. Is it Cloninger or Cloninger? What do you prefer? Cloninger, RG. Hard G, hard G. Oh, man, I've been mispronouncing. <laughs> oh, God, I feel terrible. Hey, it happens to everybody, all right? First day of school for me growing up. Oh, yeah. Always awful. <laughs> you know I got my middle name, so everyone always called my first name on attendance roll. So when you see you started coming around, I was like, yeah, that's me. That's me. Just call me. Just, just get, let's just get through this <laughs> and then move on. Yeah. Well, David, I, I apologize for not having you on. I mean, like every week I sat there and thought about how great that first segment was and how funny and entertaining it was. So uh, that's my bad, just forgetting about it week to week. But we're glad you joined us. Man, one, it's one of the best articles uh, I think I've ever read uh, by someone covering the Gamecocks as far as a deep dive into history and, uh, you know, talking about something significant and tying it to, I guess, the Gigi Jackson thing now. The Mike Grosso story. Um, I'm old enough to remember my dad and mom talking about Carolina leaving the ACC and that there are a lot of political things involved. And I knew the story, uh, but that article uh, that was, by the way, you guys can read it on the Charleston Post and Courier, uh, was outstanding. And, and that was really laid the groundwork, I think, for where we're at now uh, with the Gamecocks leaving the Atlantic Coast Conference and the early 70s, going through the wilderness for 20 years, and now they're in the SEC. But kind of walk us through that story and, and sort of, you know, just tell the story about what happened and and all that for those that may not know. Yeah, and I appreciate the compliment, uh, JC. I've been working on it for about a month and a half. I, I thank my editor, Jeff Hartzell, so much because we were originally planning to run it in September. And I was like, man, you know, this is going to be a pretty lengthy story you think we should split it up? And he's like, honestly, man, why don't we do it, you know, in October at the bye week? We'll have more room in the paper. And I thought, that's brilliant because that's when basketball practice starts. So thank him for, for making that decision. It really turned it out well and gave me more time to work on it. But um, anyway, for those of you who don't know, Mike Grosso was one of the best basketball recruits in the country in the class of 1965. Uh, you know, exact recruiting rankings aren't really – you know, known from back then. They had the parade All-American team or what have you, but they didn't have a ranking service. But most people confirmed that there was one number one recruit, a guy named Lou Alcindor, who somebody may have heard of, and then there was Mike Grosso. And Mike wanted to come play here. He wanted to play for Frank McGuire, so he did. Of course, back then, freshmen couldn't play varsity ball, so he wasn't going to play in the 1965-66 season anyway. Well, he was coming in. South Carolina was in the ACC in its first couple of years under Frank McGuire. McGuire had obviously been in the ACC before at North Carolina, won a national championship in 1957. Uh, you know, there was a lot of bad blood between Frank and the rest of the ACC for how he won. He was kicked out at North Carolina for some recruiting violations. A lot of other folks didn't like that. And then when he came back, they probably thought, mm, he's, he's going to do this again and he might upset our apple cart. So, 
Back then, there was a rule that the ACC passed before Mike Grosso ever got in school that said any student athlete to get an athletic scholarship has to score an 800 on their SAT. You got to get an 800 to get a scholarship. If you don't get an 800, you, you can't get a scholarship, but you can still play football or basketball. Hmm. Mike Grosso didn't get an 800. You know, so, okay, no big deal. He paid his own way to school, and uh, he was here as a, as a freshman, couldn't play varsity anyway, no big deal. But then the ACC, in the middle of that freshman year, said, oh, um, we're going to change that rule. Now, if you are in school and you haven't got an 800 on your SAT, you can't get a scholarship and you can't play. In the middle of the freshman year. So, naturally, girls are like, uh, what? You can't just change stuff midstream. And they said, well, actually, we can. We're the ACC. They appealed. You know, of course, they weren't going to win. Uh, as another story has told it, Sports Illustrated back in the 60s wrote it, Frank Wire had to be physically restrained from going after the guys that did it. And pretty much it was Mike Grosso was not allowed to play here. Now, what's weird about the AC is that, as I mentioned in the story, they were playing scrimmages before that 66-67 season ever started. Mike tore his knee up. He got undercut by a kid when they were playing Guilford College at the Old Carolina Fieldhouse, and he was done for the year. He wouldn't have been able to play anyway. The ACC knew that when they took up the appeal, and yet they still didn't give him any grandfathering, didn't give him any, okay, we'll look at it next year when you're better. They just said, nope, you're done, bye. So he had to leave, and he went to Louisville and recovered and averaged a double-double for the rest of his two years, briefly played in the pros, but he never got to play at South Carolina. And that right there was the impetus, the first spark on the bonfire that said, USC has got to leave the ACC if they're going to not treat them fairly. It, As you guys know, it took another five years. They won the ACC basketball tournament in 1971. And soon after that, they said, we're leaving. And what was the reason given? We need to have better academic restrictions. We want to be, coincidentally, like the Southeastern Conference that has a, a, an admission score of 50 points lower on your SAT. But it was too late to help Mike Grosso. And how I got turned on to it, you know, you, you've been around for a long time. And like you, JC, I'd, I'd heard the stories. And I was like, everything I did research, I was like, has anybody ever actually talked to this guy? And I couldn't find it. And I said, well, yeah, I'll take a shot in the dark. I mean, you can talk to his teammates, but it's going to be a better story if you get him. So I tracked him down, called him. And it took some doing, uh, you know, he's like, man, a long time ago. And he's, he was going through some medical stuff at the time. Uh, he lost his wife, unfortunately, three years ago. But we kept talking. He's like, yeah, OK, let's let's talk. And I just said, unfiltered, man, you know, tell me what you think. And obviously I had to filter a little bit of it for the paper because <laughs> there are some very bitter feelings left over from that. But as yeah. Mike said, you know, had it not happened the way it did, I never would have met my wife and I never would have had the wonderful years I had with her. So mm -hmm. he worked out for the best. But as for his teammates, they're like, you have no idea how good this guy was. And if they'd have let him play, perhaps things are different. I mean, nothing against being in the SEC, but perhaps South Carolina remains the power that it was in the ACC and maybe things are different now. Absolutely. Of course, Gamecocks left the ACC, I believe, in 1971. That was their last basketball season. Won the football championship in 69, too. So they kind of went out uh, went out with a blaze of glory there with some titles. Um, 
you know, uh, unfortunately what happened to one of those really good teams, the 69-70 team, uh, there wasn't something called a shot clock in college basketball back then. Uh, John Roach, who was a very good player for the Gamecocks. And, and also you had to make – you had to win the ACC tournament to get in the NCAAs. So it's all set up for Carolina. It's probably going to be South Carolina-UCLA in the finals, to be honest. Um, they were getting to host the NCAA regionals at Carolina Coliseum. Um, you know, they had won the regular season. They went 14-0 and in the regular season. But uh, Roach got hurt in Greensboro, and NC State held the ball and won 42-39. to and uh, that that team did not go anywhere because they couldn't go to the NIT then either because there was a rule if you hosted an NCAA thing, you couldn't go to the NIT, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that was a heartbreaking year. The next year, the Gamecocks, I think, won the ACC tournament um, and, and did go. But uh, that was kind of the beginning of the end, obviously. And, and a lot of people really did not like McGuire. Eddie Cameron, who, who the court is named for at Duke, was especially – not a fan of Frank McGuire going back to the North Carolina days, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, those guys just did not like how Frank operated. And, uh, you know, finding out later, JC, and it's one of those where I kind of know it, but I didn't want to write it because I can't really prove it. I think a lot of their argument was when McGuire came back in and Mike Grosso played, paid his own way through school, his uncles that owned a bar in New Jersey paid the tuition. It was 300 bucks. <laughs> wow. And um, I think the ACC at least suspected, well, where'd they get that money? They were thinking because Frank had done it before at North Carolina. But as one of uh, Grosso's teammates, Jack Thompson, told me, he said, look, I don't know how the guy was in school. But if that happened, that's on Frank. That's not on Mike. And you're hurting an innocent 19-year-old kid who had nothing to do with all this. But all of a sudden, he's in the crosshairs of this of, of this investigation. So it's uh, it's one of those things that I have a lot of things that can define Carolina athletics or Carolina basketball. But that's <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, of course, you get one of the best program changing recruits, and the ACC knows it's coming and says, "Nope, can't have it," and then that's it. And this is after they won the ACC football title in 1965, and that got stripped too for using supposedly ineligible players. So, mm. you know, it's it all goes back to why, you know, I was born in 1978. You know, I'm, I'm older than a lot of the reporters on the beat, but I was never around for those days. I've just heard the stories like everybody else. But I still remember when South Carolina played Duke in the round of 32 and 17, and there was just so much Duke hate. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, that, that's Duke. You know, and then you, you hate Duke, right? I mean, they're like the New York Yankees, right? But <laughs> – it was like, you don't even understand, man, about how much that animosity toward the ACC goes back and says you have no idea how contentious it was. And apparently a lot of fans hit me up for this story and said, keep going you know, with the story because when USC originally wanted to leave the ACC, apparently Clemson said, yeah, we're, we're leaving too. We're going with you. And then they backed out. Yeah, that happened. Or that's uh, that's uh, on the record because I – gosh, Shoot, I'm going to date myself here. I used to, when I was, uh, I guess, 10 or so, I really started getting into sports, and, and and I'd go and I'd use the microfilm at the Spartanburg County Public Library yeah. and go back in time. And there, there was an article about Clemson and USC both expected to leave the ACC. And I'm like, what? Well, this this, this obviously didn't happen. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. But, yeah, man, you, you start digging into that. I'll be curious to see on the other side of things if you can – who will comment on that? 
<laughs> on, on the Clemson end. Uh, thanks. <laughs> JC, I mean, I'd love to have this this story like 20 years ago because, you know, Mike Grosso is the only one of the principals that's still with us. Yeah. Eddie Cameron died in 1988, Coach McGuire in 94. Everybody else who was on that executive committee, the UNC AD who did not like Frank, all those guys are long past. Yeah. So, um, I'd, I'd love to be like, you know, it's it's been so long, let's talk about it now, but they never commented back then. Their only response was like, he's ineligible. That's it. Bye. And it left mm-hmm. it up to Frank McGuire to, you know, sound off on it to the press. And, of course, that got USC in even deeper hot water <laughs> with the ACC where the school president actually had to go to the ACC and said, I have to apologize for my basketball coach. But wow. on that same line, you guys are kind of acting unfair, don't you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember reading about that. It was just unfairness. And then, look, you know, the ACC has evolved into, gosh, into like what its name is, the the whole Atlantic Coast Conference really goes from Miami to Boston now. And it's, you know, they're kind of feeling their way. But honestly, I remember when Maryland left the league for the Big Ten. You remember the tweet from the Maryland Athletic Department account? No more North Carolina bias. They called it Carolina, but we, we call it North Carolina here. You know, no more North Carolina bias. No more. And so there's been that stigma in that league for a long time that, you know, those tobacco road schools kind of run it. I think it's to their detriment now uh, across the board. When you stretch from Boston to Miami, as you pointed out, JC, I mean, you can't have just your, your big four school, schools in North Carolina all within a 90-mile radius of each other making the decisions. Yeah, Maybe they're kind of getting out of that because now ECC headquarters is moving from Greensboro to Charlotte, mm-hmm. you know, more, more of a hub. But still, it's always going to be that – it's Atlantic coast, but it's still that southernmost part. Yeah. Runs everything. And you can lump Clemson in there with them now because it's like, well, you guys are the top dog in football, and football's the top sport. So, you know, yeah. pretty much what they want is gonna is gonna be passed. Talking to David Kalonager, Charleston Post Courier. Okay, we're just just finished the open date. Um, and uh Gamecocks have six games on the football field left to play. Uh Kentucky win was as big as it gets, Texas AM. Another program that's had the game Cox number to say the least coming in this weekend. You know, kind of your thoughts on the first six games uh, of the football season. Well, I mean, JC, you come into an off and off week with a win, and it's a win against a school you haven't beat lately who was ranked, and it was your first SEC road win. Everybody's feeling real good right now. Everybody's confident. They got some some a few days off to rest, which they really needed because this is a beat up football team. Um, you know, with the first six games, it's, it's been kind of a case of like, well, they're, they're, they felt their way out. Now they seem to have gotten to a formula which they like, which they can win. I'm like, I, I get that. I mean, you're not wrong. But, one, you really don't want to say that about a second-year program. That's something you say about a first-year program, you know. Mm-hmm. And, two, I realize that defensively, while they've had to do that, because they've just had so many injuries to key guys, and now it's like, hey – don't worry so much about the system. You got to go do what you can just mm-hmm. to get, get some production here. Nothing can help that. Of course, it's always going to come back to offense. Now, past three games have been great. It's worked. It's looked good a lot of times. And I will say, for the record, against Kentucky, I had no problems with the play calling except for one play. Marshawn Lloyd on fourth and one with no extra blockers. That, that was foolish. But the rest, I was like, play calling's been fine. I mean, I – I don't know if it's a play call when Juju McDowell is standing over there doing jumping jacks in the flat 
and your quarterback bounce passes the ball to him. That's not the play call. <laughs> Keith mentioned that last week. He said he said unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, so you know, people are like, oh, this offensive line's bad. I'm like, no, they gave Rattler enough time to throw it down on the goal line. And if you watch the play, Austin Stogner is wide open in the middle. Wide Ooh. open. That's the play. That was perfectly called. Gotta let the ball go. You can't just stand there with the ball while the guy's coming in at you like, oh, oh. So, you know, it's always going to come back to that because throughout six games, JC, and you guys know this too, there's been times this offense has looked good and it's looked capable and it's gotten the job done. And that's the bottom line. Long as you win, that's the bottom line. There's also times where it's just like, it's just there's no rhythm. I mean, it's it's kind of like you see the visible light bulb go on on the sideline. Oh, got it. It's, it's time for the Jaheim Bell package. Go ahead and get him in there. I'm like, mm. uh, to me, that guy should be on the field every snap. But <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> agrees with you there. So, but the thing is, guys, it's like it is working. It, it's won the past three games. It's looked good. So at this point, they're kind of like, all right, well, let's. There's not, there's not going to be any decisions made. I think you guys know oh, that. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I, there may have been something that would may have come up uh, had they laid a big egg at Kentucky. But right. uh, I right. thought the play call in the second half at Kentucky was actually, actually made a difference. I thought yeah. there were some really good play calls. They, um, they gave Rattler you know, more than he was comfortable with. And also it was, as I wrote in today's paper, Marshall and Lloyd, you know, it's like give, give him the ball. Just give him the ball. Mm-hmm. And what I was very pleased to see – Turnover on the first play of the game. Great. You got the ball on the two-yard line. Don't get cute here. Yeah, and just run it. Lined up Max Protect said, just give it to old Stud Hoss in the backfield there. Bam. <laughs> touchdown. Easy. I'm like, see, there you go. Real yeah, simple. that this was that was a difficult game. <laughs> yeah, run, blocking, tackling, that tends to do it yeah, uh, so. in terms of that. I thought the perimeter blocking, too, uh, came out both on the reverse and the, the little play to Juice Wells where he broke it. Uh, just some In that, in the Georgia State game, people asked what the problem was in that one. Well, Carolina kept trying to attack the perimeter, but, like I mean, you had guys out there just, like, whiffing and, I mean, it's a numbers game, right? You know? And, and that was one thing, too, on that Juice Wells uh, – Josh Van might have got away with one there, but they didn't call it. Yeah. They didn't call it. So, yeah. You know, I was like, hmm. <laughs> okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I you know, and I, I thought, I think, uh, you know, it's important for Rattler to settle down quicker. Second half. Um, and, and also, you talked about the, the light bulb and, and all that good stuff, and you could see it. Uh, and I was actually in Lexington. That's the first game I've seen in person. This year, it's it's noticeable. In the first half, it was just so methodical and slow operationally. Mm-hmm. But the second half, Carolina lined up. I mean, they didn't really go. They didn't go like Tennessee fast, right? Uh, but they went faster, and, and I think that helps him because he does less thinking and more yeah. playing. It is one thing, JC. You know, he's been on record, and it shows that he likes to run that up tempo. You know, mm-hmm. call the play, get to the ball, snap it. So it's like they they you see him start doing that. But then after a few, two, three plays, it's, okay, call the play, look over the sideline, call the play, then go. I'm like, come on. I, I mean, get back to what you're doing. That's what's keeping them off balance. So it's <laughs> – I've kind of run out of words to say, you know, just how, how strange it is. But it's like, look, it, it won the game. And winning cures everything. We saw that last year. So it's just a case of I realize A&M is favored this weekend. Mm-hmm. That's fine because this is still a game that South Carolina can win. 
And I think mm-hmm. there's an easy path towards them winning. There's nothing about A&M that really frightens USC from what it's done to this point. They stopped a nemesis in Chris Rodriguez last week or against mm-hmm. Kentucky. Devin mm-hmm. Achain is another nemesis. He's lit up South Carolina the first two times he's played them. Mm-hmm. To me, watching A&M from afar, I'm like, that's the only offense they got. You stop that guy, you're going to be fine. But you got to go stop him. And against Chris Rodriguez, yeah, he had, what, 126 yards? Didn't score. Yeah, and 90 of those came in the first half. Yeah, so yeah. it's just play in front of him. When you get to him, just lock him up till somebody can help you. And, hey, he can run as long as he wants to, as far as he wants to, in between the goal line. That's cool. <laughs> we'll worry about how it looks afterwards. Just don't, <laughs> don't let him score. <laughs> don't let him win. Yards and points. <laughs> yeah, and, and A&M has looked relatively pedestrian on, on offense most of the mm-hmm. year. And, 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 you know, they, they have – you know, Alabama, they stayed in that game because Alabama turned it over four times. And mm-hmm. Alabama, there, there's something – there's something askew in Tuscaloosa right now, in my opinion. But uh, uh, I was watching that one too, JC. And uh, mm. you know, when when it's a tie game and you've got the ball and you've got two timeouts and you know your kicking game is not good, I'm like, hey man, just run the clock down and kick. And if you miss it, you go to overtime. That didn't happen. No, three straight pass plays. We're gonna throw it three times. Yeah, <laughs> three straight pass plays, and then you miss the field goal. And now you've given them great field possession with 18 seconds. I thought, Nick. I mean, come on, buddy. That was a very unsaving game plan. I mean, from yeah. the start, they came out and started chunking it. And I was like, what are you? I was like, I thought for sure they'd say, all right, you know, we got to keep the. And that, I, I've preached it all year. You want to stay in the game. I said it last year about South Carolina. You want to stay in a, a game with a team like Tennessee, you got to weather their storm mm-hmm. and you got to do it with your offense. I mean, you got to keep oh, them off the field, which yeah. I mean, Tennessee couldn't stop the run. Alabama, the best run offense in, in the league. Go out and run the ball. You know, yeah. that score. that's fine. <laughs> run Just the dang ball. Yeah. But I thought, boy, that's as for the, um, the interference flag that wiped off a Tennessee interception. I I didn't see it, so maybe you guys did. When did he actually throw the flag for the interference? Because if he threw it immediately, I have no beef. I thought it was the right call. I just don't know when he actually threw the flag. A little late. Because I, I was like, late, yeah. we're, we're getting into Terry Porter, Ohio State versus Miami <laughs> here. Like, if you sat there and looked at it for four seconds and then threw the flag, I'm like, come on, dude. That's yeah. enough. <laughs> I, I never saw where the flag came in. So I was like, all I saw yeah. was on the field, and I thought, oh, no. We'll that, that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, so got to stop A-Chain this weekend. Uh, any other keys to the game before we get you out of here, man? Oh, man, I mean, just <laughs> go out there and score. You know, I mean, we're talking about rhythm and flow on offense, how it's better in the second half. That's usually been the case. And it's been good because they've been in such a hole to start most first halves. They didn't have that last week. Mm-hmm. They got an early score on the second play, and then they held Kentucky out of the end zone except for one bust. Okay, but it was 7-7. So, okay, no problem. You just got to go out there and try to, you know, make – try to get a quick start. It's not going to happen on a turnover all the time. But whatever you want to do, go out there and execute it. And to me, that right now is like you've got – a couple of definite things in your wheelhouse, and they all involve Marshall and Lloyd. Give him yeah. the ball. Give him the ball and have him pace you and then let Rattler settle into the game. And that way maybe he, he won't make some of these early mistakes because 
SC State, okay, I'm not going to fault two interceptions that were should have been caught. Those are not his fault. But some of those plays against Kentucky, I'm thinking, hmm. Yeah, it was noticeable. There, there were some. There were sometimes there, there was nobody open, but there were other times that yeah, he missed it. Well, and, and, you know, I'm writing during the game, especially a late one, JC, and and yeah. I was you know writing up ideas for my little opinion piece after the game. And the first thing I wrote at halftime was, there needs to be a question asked, and it's not the one you're thinking about offense. It's going to be, is it time to give Luke Doty a shot? Now I erased it because second half was fine. Yeah, but at that time, if, if that game had kept going the way it was, I'm like, I think there needs to be a little, you know, decision making over the next two weeks because the kid don't look good. If and, that continued, I agree. I mean, I, I I've been hesitant to call for Doty this year, or because I think, but I do think Luke's improved quite a bit. Oh yeah, um, and I also think you know, you and I know JC from talking to who we talked to. It's like, why call for something that you know is probably not going to happen? Yeah, I know. one of those like. Yeah, this guy needs to play. He came in, all right, fine. But at that point, after six games, if they had lost and he had played badly throughout, I said, I think you might need to at least take a look at this. Yeah. But he played a great second half, near, nearly sure. flawless. So yeah. I was like, okay, no problem. You guys had like 90 yards at halftime, 266 in the second half. That And, and if you look at uh, Mississippi State only had 203 the whole game against uh, Kentucky's big blue. MSU and Kentucky. Just, that was strange. It always is, though. You know, they play each other every year. Yeah. Uh, they're permanent opponents, and they always have, like, some kind of weirdness. Like, like last year, Kentucky went down there. I think Kentucky may have been undefeated or had one loss. Mississippi State beat them pretty good. Yeah. You know, same thing happened this year in Lexington. But that's uh, that's one of those weird uh, every year games that we're probably not going to see a lot of here in the next couple of years because they're going to redo the schedule and, and all that good stuff. So uh, there we go. Well, David, I appreciate you uh, joining us today, man. Congrats on that article. I'll tell everybody to read it. And hopefully you continue to dig into that period of Gamecock history because that's a fascinating, fascinating time period. And it really laid the groundwork for a lot of what we see today. Yeah, you know what, guys? It's always better than writing about cut blocks and blown layups. So <laughs> I'll see you <what> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. Take care, Thank guys. You, Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. David Cloninger. Got to have him more on more often. I'm writing that down on the yeah. notepad here. <laughs> really good, uh, really good uh, stuff there. <laughs> VJ Belmont does chime in on the chat box. <laughs> calling for midseason at four and two is like calling for a new OC. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to clear up what he said. Um, he he was going to mention it. Had Carolina continued to say, and look, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, wasn't a fan of the operational aspects of the offense the first half the other night at all. And I think that had something to do with Rattler struggling. But the bottom line is Spencer Rattler did struggle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and all that good stuff. So that's uh, – but he came back in the second half. So so he's got to put a full half of football together. Uh, I think this offense in general uh, needs to do that, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes that ends up happening. So we'll see. And, and just like Jamie Bradford said last week, the, the system sort of is what it is. Nothing you can do about it for the rest of the year. Uh, I've got questions about it, obviously. Um, but Carolina can go win football games moving forward with this offense, with the players they have. Uh, they just have to go execute and, and get enough and continue to play well on defense and special teams. Uh, Corey, they have not announced the Missouri game time yet, but Phil is all over it and I'm all over it. And, uh, I will. We'll let you know right here on the show. It should be while we're broadcasting. So, 
Uh, Missouri game time, that game obviously next weekend at Williams Bryce and a chance to get that daggum trophy back. And, and, and there's a trophy for this weekend's game too. We just ne- nobody's ever seen it in Columbia because that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you need somebody to call Jim. Hey, y'all be sure to dust that thing off and bring it with you. <laughs> Because, you know, this may be the year. And I've said that I, to my credit all year. I was like, uh, if you're going to get A&M, get them this year. All right, we got to get a break. He's coming in with his normal Monday heat. We look forward to that. Also, if you missed Keith's heat last week, if you took it, if you took last week off like the team did, uh, you know, you, you can go check out a lot of his highlights from his interview on our YouTube page. It's uh, under the Gamecock Media uh, tab on our YouTube page where we stream. All right. We'll be back after these messages inside the Gamecocks, the show. If you're a listener, you know I feel strongly that if you're in the upstate and are in need of real estate services, Cindy Searfoss is your go-to person. Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane uh, can help you with any of your realty needs right there in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Oconee, uh, Pickens, wherever you are. Cindy can help you with that. She's married to a die-hard Gamecock fan, has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E. That's Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Check her out. We've already gotten several emails from listeners uh, that are very impressed with her professionalism and her ability to help you with your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks. Hey, hey man, are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes, he takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah, same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues, and I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. Oh, I feel that, man. My head hurts, but I have a good lead on a good idea. I'm calling your boy Matthew Odom today from Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in making sure your IT network runs like a dream. If you have one or 500 employees, it doesn't matter. They do it all for one monthly fee and have clients from South Carolina all the way to California. Yeah, I heard that monthly fee's low too, so I don't know why I didn't even think of that. Uh, Do you have 843-699? 1001 is Matt's contact number. Yeah, man, I sure do that. Or you can go to heritagedigital.com. Man, I hear they do a no cost assessment. Boy, this will help me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm getting all that and encouraging everyone else to do the same. Heritage Digital, 843 699 1001 or heritagedigital.com, a proud sponsor of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. 
Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Hey, folks. JC here. I've told you about Nana's Porch over and over again. They sponsor our chat box on the show. Uh, Don't take my word for it, though. I wanted you to hear from Gamecock pitcher Noah Hall about our sponsor, Nana's Porch. Nana'sPorch.com. Go there. Food, truck, catering, whatever you need. Uh, Take it away, Noah. What's up, Gamecock fans? This is Pitcher Noah Hall. If you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good Southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. What's up? This is Jaheen Bell with the Gamecocks, and you're now listening to Inside the Gamecock Show with JC and Phil. Welcome back to Inside the Gamecocks, the show, everybody. Second hour brought to you by uh, the Burgesson team at Remax by the Lake. Give Adam or Derek Burgesson a call or shoot him an email at A Burgesson, that's B E R G E S O N, for all of your commercial real estate needs. And of course, we are brought to you by Manscaped. Use the code Big Spurter at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. And Keith now joins us on the McKellar Enterprises guest line. So, Keith, you enjoy your football watching this weekend? Yes, there was no stress. I didn't feel like I was passing a kidney stone or going into child labor or having thoughts of slicing my wrist wide open. So, it was uh, Wonderful. Wonderful college football weekend. Lots of classics right down the wire. Um, the more I think about that Bama Tennessee game, the more I, I just, you know, it's rare that we get to question Nick Saban on something, but uh, I, don't, I don't know why they didn't run the ball more in a lot of different <clears throat> situations. Uh, I don't think they, it's because they can't run the ball. I think. They can't run the ball. And we've never seen this from Alabama. Um, You know, I thought there was the huge drop by Jameer Gibbs down there in the red zone. I mean, it was just a wild, wacky game. I didn't think Bryce Young was going to play. I picked Tennessee to win the game. Uh, But I was – Really pulling for Alabama. Uh, one of my best friend's sons uh, is on staff at Alabama. Brad Lawing's uh, son, Will, he is OB's analyst. He was the tight ends coach for him with the Houston Texans. And I just grew up loving Alabama football because my dad loved Alabama football. And uh, <clears throat> I got to see Bear Bryant live and in person. Even though the first time I went to that stadium, J.C. was in 1979 at Legion Field in Birmingham uh, for the Hall of Fame Bowl, which was played in a cold, pouring down rain where Gary Harper lost his voice after the first drive. And Missouri beat the Gamecocks. 
That was the first game I ever went to live. Yeah. I was three years old. I hid under my mom's poncho and peeked out. But yeah. uh, and my uncle drove uh, us down there, and he's one of these that never likes to stop. And so I was starving, apparently. Uh, I guess we had stayed in Atlanta and driving over. And, uh, my mom always tells that story. But, yeah, it's the first Gamecock game I ever went to in person. Second one was Notre Dame in 83. In the didn't, rain. Also didn't, in the rain. In the rain. Down rain. It did not go again until 87 at Miami. So that was uh, – and by, the, by 87, I knew what was going on. <laughs> I didn't think – I don't think I knew what was going on in 79 or 83, but uh, certainly yeah, – I, I was already out of college by then. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, you don't look it, man. You don't look it. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Gamecock864 on the Nana Sports chat box says, Tennessee rent, Keith hates Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then that's the thing, Zach. And this is a good point with Zach. We'll get you take on this key, then we'll get to the Gamecocks. Uh, pull this up from Zach here, Phil. Mm-hmm. Man, I'll tell you what, I can't stand Tennessee, but I tip my hat to him. Alabama does not have the big physical guys on defense like they always have. This was a change they implemented a few years back. Uh, Alabama, they, they started going because they struggled with tempo offenses, and obviously, in certain uh, certain games they still do, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they started recruiting smaller linebackers, uh, guys that could run a little bit better and not your big, basically gigantic defensive end types that they used to have. Um, so that's a change. I don't know if that helped them or hurt them on Saturday, but that, that is something that, that Alabama has evolved with. Now, I mean uh- – Nick Saban has evolved defensively and offensively. Great coaches do evolve. Uh, other coaches, <clears throat> like Will Muschamp as a head coach, they just always, when they want to change, but when things don't go the way they want, <clears throat> excuse me, they revert back. And uh, that's why I think Nick Saban has ultimately been so successful at Alabama. He's the best recruiter in the country. But I don't think, J.C., to me, the biggest difference in Alabama from the past few years to this year is that they do not have the same kind of dudes at wide receiver. Now, maybe they got one or two, but they've been used to having four, five, six guys. They got guys dropping balls that are wide open. They don't even look like they know how to catch the football. And, uh, you know, defensively, I just think that's college football now. Everybody's taking a step back, uh, except for Kentucky, who shut down the pirate ship. I mean, they totally uh, cannonballed that thing uh, up there. They they need a blue field in Kentucky. If they're big big blue nation, they should play on a blue field. But I digress. I mean, you got to tip your cap to uh, big fat quarterback, former quarterback Josh Heupel. I, everybody knows I'm not a fan of fat quarter ex quarterbacks, and uh, he looks like uh, probably a right guard now would be his position, but. When you look at their offense and you look at some other offenses, I mean, uh, he is the real deal. His offense, it's not a gimmick. Uh, I was skeptical. I thought they might take a step back this year. But, you know, really the biggest difference is is they had Jalen Hyatt and Alabama didn't. And, you know, 
Thanks, BMAC. I mean, that's another guy that, well, never mind. Speed. <laughs> Jalen Hyatt, speed kills, man. Speed kills. Uh, I mean, he, evidently, you know, Brian McClendon, about every guy he signed was 6'2", 6'3", 190, and slower than Al Poop. <laughs> so, you know, anyway. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – that's something else right there. It's going to be interesting to see how the season plays out and, and all that good stuff, but certainly a big win for the Vols uh, this weekend. A lot of other good games. I mean, you know, Southern Cal, Utah was great. Uh, how about LSU going down to Florida and winning? They scored 28 straight and were really boat racing the Gators going in the fourth quarter, and they went to a prevent defense. Because they were, they, it was uh, 21 to 14 Florida, and then it was 42 to 21 Florida going into the third or to the fourth quarter. And I think they relaxed. Uh, Florida got back in it, but when it came down to it, LSU, uh, they just controlled the football. They ran the ball, they controlled the clock, and got out of there with a 10 point win even though they were up by 21. JC, for me, I think the biggest thing was I thought it was an awful week for the Zebras. Mm-hmm. It, was. it was. I mean, look, I'm a high school official in Texas. We uh, are the same as NCAA officials. We play by the same rules. There are some UIL exceptions. We have seven-man crews. They have eight-man crews. In college, they have an extra guy called the center judge. That's the guy that always runs in uh, in between the center and the nose guard and makes sure both teams have a chance to sub and then backpedals back. And so you have two pl- two officials behind the quarterback, 15 yard, 12 to 15 yards back on either side. That's the only difference. And it is unfathomable for me to comprehend how guys that are the best of the best don't know what down it is, okay? You have your down indicator, which I I meant to wear mine, uh, and, and I didn't. But the H, which is my position, that's the guy that's in charge of making sure the dude with the down marker has got it on the right down. And the guy directly across is looking at it. That's the L, the line judge. And if it's not right, he does like that over his head. Or he just keys up his mic and says, hey, we're, we're playing three here. It's third down, not second down. Or, hey, it's fourth down. But the H is responsible for that. And I don't understand how you got eight guys that are getting four or five grand to call this game. And nobody knows what down it is. You have to stop the game and allow the video to go through every down and every penalty to finally discover it's fourth down. It's embarrassing. I mean, I mean that's, that is – that crew should be heavily fined and have to sit out for that. That That is inexcusable to not know what down it is. Ole Miss and Auburn, clearly Auburn – was getting boat raced, but it was third down and Ole Miss threw a pass and there was no contact. None. 
I saw that. Oh, if, guy throw, if guy throws on that, I mean, that was just, well, I'm a homer, and we're at Ole Miss, and I'm throwing on that. That was awful. I mean, there, there were just several more instances of just embarrassing. I've got one. Officiating. Texas, I mean, Iowa State. Texas, Iowa State was terrible. Um, Iowa State kid goes quarterback, keeper. Clearly, if I if I've seen targeting at all this year, it was on that play. You know, and I'm not a big targeting fan. You know, and I think sometimes it's a little iffy. But I think that was the one where the guy's face mask went over his helmet. That is not yeah. targeting. It. They've redefined it. Okay, and the rule they. There's a six-inch diameter around the crown of the helmet. That is the area you have to either have a defenseless player who is being hit high while he's defenseless with a launch and the crown of the helmet in or about the head or neck area. Um I understand why they didn't call targeting on that. Uh, and I thought at the end of the game when the guy got hit, right as the knee was going down, the ball started to come out. He did not have, you know, full control of the football. And so I thought that was a legitimate call. But I thought there were several calls where guys lower their heads at the same time. And that that's the new one of the new things, and yeah. uh, they just skip over it. They it was inter- during the replay of that fumble, Keith. It was interesting because the the ref again said the ruling on the field is the runners down by contact, but he had just called a fumble, and so TV had the graphic. The announcers were saying fumble. The graphic said ruling is down by contact. It just didn't look like anybody knew what the hell was going on. Uh, and then they did it. I, I don't know. It's, see, I, you know, the targeting, but I didn't know there was a new rule with that. And that's, that's probably actually a pretty good rule. So um, that's the good end. Clint said there was a hit on Bryce Young that was targeting. Uh, in that. I agree. There were several very questionable calls in that game. Of course, Alabama had 17 penalties in that game, but there were several DPIs that I thought if you're going to call, it's probably defensive holding. It's not a DPI, which is 10 yards and automatic first down. But I thought the one at the end of the game, which would have probably sealed it for Alabama where they intercepted on the overthrow in the end zone, I really did not think that rose to a DPI, not in the spirit of the rule. Because the receiver uh, honestly had no chance of catching it, and both players were contacting each other. There was a lot of hand fighting going on. That's a judgment call. I mean, not as bad as the uh, roughing the passer, Grady Jarrett, on Tom Brady last week, where they said, well, he unnecessarily threw him to the ground. Well, how, how do you – Get a guy on the ground if you don't throw him on the ground. You could hurt your back trying to not throw him on the ground. I mean, you know, you could like really. I mean, uh, anyway, yeah, that was that was ridiculous. That was that was crazy. All right, Keith, South Carolina's Texas A and M. Uh, South Carolina's playing Texas A and M Saturday. Obviously, the Aggies have dominated the series. Um, 
some close games in there mixed, but the last shoot three years, 30 to six, 48 to three, 44, 14. Gamecocks have not been competitive against these guys. AM's a four and a half point favorite. Uh, I think the matchups are, are pretty good for South Carolina. I don't, I don't think you look at it and go, uh, you know, this is going to be difficult uh, or, or this is something to where, you know, it's going to take this, this, and this for this team to go in there and compete Saturday night. I'll caution everybody and say AM still got a lot of great players, a lot of good talent. Um, so I don't think Carolina's going to roll, but uh, I think this falls into the category of winnable game for the Gamecocks. JC, I agree. I think this is the best chance South Carolina's had uh, since probably 2017 uh, at College Station. The Gamecocks led that game 17 to seven late in the third quarter. A uh, A&M kicked a field goal. Then there was this little slippery freshman quarterback. It's ironic the Gamecocks may get another freshman quarterback this weekend. It's a dual threat guy um, who just, you know, escaped and made plays with his legs. And Kurt Roper decided to go ultra conservative and run it up the middle on first and second down. And then it'd be third and 13 and, Jake Bentley, I mean, if that had been outside the stadium on the street, some guys would have been arrested for assault and battery with intent to kill. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for South Carolina. You know, Marcus uh, Satterfield, bless his heart, uh, when he's had extra time to prepare, the Gamecocks are undefeated, uh, whether it's – a bye week or a bowl game or a, you know, South Carolina State moved up to Thursday. They got the extra 48 hours. But, I mean, quite frankly, that was more about Will Levis being out in South Carolina dominating both lines of scrimmage. You know, what have they done during the open date? And how do you get Spencer Rattler off early? I mean, I'm not, South Carolina, they want to win the fourth quarter, but – you need to win the first quarter. And when you get the ball after a block punt at the 11-yard line, you need points this week if something like that happens. You can't squander red zone opportunities. And, you know, J.C., I just think it comes down to we're all hoping that Marcus Satterfield can figure out how to get Spencer Rattler going early so that he's rolling for four quarters and you get a big-time game out of him. What, what would you do if you're – just put on your offensive coordinator hat. Tell us uh, tell us what your idea would be. Every, everybody would kind go, of plan, you know. I, I would go hurry up, no huddle. I would incorporate the RPO game, and I would have Jaheim Bell uh, in the slot or out wide, one of the two. And – I would try to get out on the perimeter, get some plays, hit some runs, get some RPOs, throw some slants, which I don't think we've hardly seen at all this year, and try to get the ball to the backs and some swing passes and screen game from your wide receivers and hurry it up, get going, and get off early. To me, that's that's what Oklahoma – did in 2020 when Spencer Rattler 
you know, was one of the top quarterbacks in the country and going into last season, that's why he was a preseason Heisman front runner. Yeah, getting off to a good said You mentioned Jaheim Bell. I, I think there's been several times during his career, Keith, the, the bowl game and, you know, even that long pass he caught against Georgia, you know, that didn't turn into anything. But Jaheim's kind of a fast starter if you think about it. You know, he can go out there and – do some things early on. JC, here's the travesty of it all. Jalen Hyatt had five touchdown receptions against Alabama in one game. Not Alabama A&M, Alabama A&T, Troy, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. And Jaheim Bell doesn't have five touchdown receptions in his career. And he has zero this season. I think somebody knows how to get the ball to their best player and somebody don't. And I'm not trying to be negative because, hell, Jaheim Bell might have six receptions for 190 yards and then not get another one for three weeks. I mean, who knows? (laughs) We've seen it happen before. We've seen it happen before. I'm just saying. I mean, okay, Mazio Bennett, heavy Gamecock lean, was almost ready to commit this summer, wanted to see the offense in year two to see if it lived up to the hype. Well, I mean, JC, if you watch us play and you watch Tennessee play and you're a wide receiver, I mean, my son's going to Tennessee. I mean, not in reality because Tennessee and Clemson – would be off limits, but I mean, you just have to tip your cap. I mean, that dude runs a big time college offense because it's college football. It's not NFL football. It's college football. I agree with you. You're talking to Keith Alsep lot on the game Cox podcast. Yeah. And M's going through some similar struggles. I mean, you know, they, and Jimbo's offense is pro style, but it also, uh, you know, I don't think he's ever coached in the NFL. So he's, uh, uh, it, it, it's 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 a college offense, but just that kind of plotting system. And and I thought one of the secrets to the second half success Carolina had in Kentucky, uh, and you got a real good sense of it being there, Keith. The first half, I just sat there and just watched guys get shuffled in and out. And you go look at the other sideline, and there's Kentucky's coaches shuffling guys in and out. I think you do yourself a disservice in college ball when you let the other defense uh, other defensive coaches um adjust because that's their game i mean the, the whole big if you talk to any defensive coach the, the reason they struggle with tempo is you know you can't sub you can't put your packages out there you can't dissect they're just going too fast for that to happen well when you give them that opportunity they're, they're going to feast on that most of the time and I, I thought in the second half against kentucky you know, Carolina almost got Kentucky caught off sides a couple of times by lining up. They weren't going super-duper fast. It was just a better operational tempo. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, look, everything comes down to personnel, right? Like the defense is going to try to match. But when you've got Austin Stogner and Jaheim Bell and you got Marshawn Lloyd and Juju McDowell, you could be – two back, two tight end, or you could be 
four wide or five wide or three wide one tight end. I mean, you could present a number of mismatches by not subbing with a flexible personnel group and going fast. And that's what I like because that's college football. I mean, I see it a lot on Friday nights. I mean, we had an unbelievable game Friday night that wound up. It was uh, 35 to 28. The home team scored with 33 seconds to go and was going to kick it and called timeout and then went for two and the other team burned their last timeout. Then they came back out and their coach is a gambler and he went for two and they ran it right up their ass and the guy was in on my side for the winning score. Jeez. <laughs> See, that's fun. That, that's yeah. what makes college football. It was fun. fun. Both teams were going fast. They were going up and down the field. There were a lot of good plays. There were some not so good plays, but I mean, it's big time football. And, you know, if you look at Tennessee, if you look at what Garrett Riley's doing in year two at TCU versus what Marcus Satterfield's doing in year two, you can't tell me TCU doesn't have a better quarterback than South Carolina. TCU, yeah, they got some fast dudes, but I would take South Carolina skill players as a group over TCUs, but it's the style, okay? Look, even Kevin Johns at Duke, Duke, okay? And this is not David Cutcliffe's Duke. This is after he left and they brought, you know, promoted the other guy and he bottomed out and uh, they brought in uh, the D coordinator from Texas A&M who had been at Wake Forest and then Notre Dame. Elko. Yeah, he hired Kevin Johns from Memphis. And Kevin Johns has got it going. You look at Lance Leipold at Kansas. They got it going. I mean, yeah, they got beat 52 to 42, but hell, it wasn't because they got beat because their offense wasn't scoring enough points. It's, you they, know, they, they didn't have a backup quarterback, too, because their starter was out against Oklahoma. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's just not the right call. I think pro offenses uh, are very nuanced because you you have to be, but that's um, that's just one of those things. All right, buddy, we appreciate you uh, joining us today for the hey, heat. So I, got, I got one note uh, for your listeners: the number one women's college basketball uh, prospect in the country, Judea Juju Watkins from. Uh, Sierra Cannon High School in uh, Los Angeles is on campus. And she's probably having a meeting today with uh, ESM and Park Ave Sports because somebody with her profile who considered skipping college and going overseas and playing professional basketball because she is that good and she already has an NIL deal with Nike signed last week. Her agent, by the way, is uh, Alex English's daughter, who represents a lot of uh, former Gamecock women basketball players. Uh, Jade Lee, L.I. English is her name. Nice. And uh, it's one of three. We know Stanford's 
one and we know South Carolina's one and the third one is probably Arizona or UCLA. But it's kind of like Alabama football when it comes to Dawn Staley. Uh, she's always in on the best players in the country and probably looking at another top five recruiting class next month when all is said and done. Possibly another, another number one recruiting class. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask one follow-up on that. And by the way, Missouri kickoff 4 p.m. SEC Network. Uh, it just got a like it. Um One more thing. Um, any concern with her having an NIL deal with Nike and Carolina being Under Armour? Because that's going to come up. Well, Dawn Staley has a deal with Nike. I was not aware of that. Well, that's yeah. cool. And the question answered. And, <laughs> and, hey, JC, who's to say South Carolina won't have a deal with Nike next year? You never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. <laughs> all right, Keith. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, as always, all our all our listeners here love Mondays. Uh, you know, you can look at it all set. Hey, so let me tell you. So we're finally getting AT&T fiber internet today. It only took four months. And me demanding to speak to supervisors three separate occasions, and uh, okay, basically, okay, okay, JC, you know, you know how I roll when I'm <laughs> agitated uh, because I'm in sales and customer service, and yeah. uh, uh, so we went round and round over why it has not been done in four months, and uh, guess what? It got done, and nice. the repairs were made to the engineering issue mm. uh, and so they're coming out in uh about 30 minutes so nice fiber yeah. optic internet that's, that's good that's good keith, keith lives outside of austin texas by the way though but it's uh yeah so there's no reason why this shouldn't have happened he's absolutely right it's not like keith lives uh, in the mountains. In, in well, I mean, look, they, they installed it on our street in May. They went door to door in my neighborhood in June. We signed up immediately because we've been waiting on it for two years. And they were supposed to come like the next day. And then I get a voicemail saying there's an engineering issue. Well, then they never called me back. And then they canceled my order. We, we called like half a dozen times, uh, got nothing and so finally they start calling promoting and i go through the the story and tell them and so they sign us up again and then i get a call back an hour later saying there's an engineering issue and i'm like look i want to speak to your supervisor and then i spoke to the uh, uh technical support resolutions which is the highest escalation, not to just them, but to the supervisor. And uh, they got it done. So sometimes persistence pays off. You can overcome an engineering issue with that. Well, so basically you overcome somebody getting off their lazy ass and actually coming out. <laughs> and doing it. Yeah, that's no doubt. Keith, man, we, we looking forward to next Monday. Hopefully we're talking about uh, a win. Five and two, it's separation Saturday coming up. Yeah. Yeah, Five and two, Missouri on decks. Chance to get bowl eligible before the end of October. So that's right. That's uh, that's good stuff. Thanks, Keith. Have a good one, man. You too, guys.
Thank you. That's Keith Allset from Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Or sorry, from Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, got a lot in the chat box to get to. Um, and we're going to go to that. We got some uh, mailbag questions, too. We'll get to when we get back. Uh, once again, Missouri-Carolina kicking off 4 p.m. SEC Network. Sort of a night game. I guess it'll be a little dark by the second half, right? Uh, yeah, but like late afternoon's nice. It's a good yeah. window. Time to tailgate. Yeah, you get time mm-hmm. to tailgate, then you're not home at the crack of dawn at night if you're driving in. Uh, we'll be back on the other side. More of your interaction right here on the show on a Monday. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks. Attention golfers of all ages and skill sets. Former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor will be a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina very, very soon. You want to take advantage of this opportunity. If you're like me and you got to get a whole lot better at golf, or even if you're looking to refine your swing, Meredith is the person you need to go to. She's competing in her final USGA Mid-Amateur Tournament this summer before going full-time into teaching and coaching individuals. If you're in South Carolina, Meredith will be conducting in-person golf lessons at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course. She'll play 9 or 18 with you. If you're out of state, though, this is really exciting. She'll be conducting virtual lessons. You can send in your swing for her expert analysis. Also, in November, she'll launch an online course with video instruction for all ages and skill levels. Meredith has 20-plus years of knowledge, former SEC golfer, all of that. So contact her on Twitter, at Taylor at M-E-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or go to McKellarEnterprises.org. McKellar is spelled M-C-K-E-L-L-A-R, Enterprises.org. Her email is on the website, so you can connect with her for any other questions. Go get your golf game in order. Take advantage of Meredith Taylor and her services. Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Hey, folks. JC here. I've told you about Nana's Porch over and over again. They sponsor our chat box on the show. Uh, Don't take my word for it, though. I wanted you to hear from Gamecock pitcher Noah Hall about our sponsor, Nana's Porch. Nana'sPorch.com. Go there. Food, truck, catering, whatever you need. Uh, Take it away, Noah. What's up, Gamecock fans? This is Pitcher Noah Hall. If you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. Hey, man. Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes, he takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah, same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues, and I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. 
Oh, I feel that, man. My head hurts, but I have a good lead on a good idea. I'm calling your boy Matthew Odom today from Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in making sure your IT network runs like a dream. If you have one or 500 employees, it doesn't matter. They do it all for one monthly fee and have clients from South Carolina all the way to California. Yeah, I heard that monthly fee's low too, so I don't know why I didn't even think of that. Uh, do you have 843-699-1001 as Matt's contact number? Yeah, man, I sure do that. Or you can go to heritagedigital.com. Man, I hear they do a no-cost assessment. Boy, this will help me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm getting on that and encouraging everyone else to do the same. Heritage Digital, 843-699-1001 or heritagedigital.com, a proud sponsor of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. This, this is Braylon Wimmer, South Carolina Gamecock Baseball, and you are listening to Inside the Gamecocks, the show with JC and Phil. Go Cox! Welcome back to the show, everybody. Inside the Gamecocks is uh, brought to you by Manscaped. Don't forget, use the code BIGSPUR at manscaped.com for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And the second hour, of course, is brought to you by the Burgess Entertainment Remix at the Lake. Uh, give Adam or Derek a call or shoot him an email at a burgesson that's b-e-r-g-e-s-o-n at remax.net for all of your commercial real estate needs say well, i'm struggling today jc i'm not feeling well <laughs> <laughs> i hope you feel better phil i really do Keep I, I've, had some, I've had some days where i've gotten off of the show and I just get up to put up the podcast version and then go back to sleep. So that's a, it's, it's going to be quick. Yeah. Downloading it's, the stuff and getting it it's up quick. Cold. It's cold here today too. I mean, like mm. uh wind chills 20, it was snowing this morning, by the way. Cool. An ominous sign. Uh. Ominous. That's why I'm all bundled up. I have a Wisconsin sweatshirt on today. I I'm like, like, Oh man, gold badgers. Uh, Cause I have a lot of gear from a lot of different places, but uh mm had to wear that today um in uh i help consulting mailbag question there's two ways to get the mailbag you can go tweet to at the big spur pod or inside the game at gmail.com this comes in from soda city it says jc caught up with a buddy recently who is a resident in orthopedic surgery having had a significant injury a broken femur myself from a non-contact injury i asked him if artificial turf was causing increases in lower extremity injuries he said it was possible but not likely he said research is pointing toward weight training programs being the problem when athletes spend too much time uh, getting their PRs on squat, deadlift, power clean, their muscles adapt, uh, over adapt to ideal positionings and movements, which creates an imbalance in their ability to handle less than ideal positionings of their extremities that can occur in football. He said there's growing consensus among orthopedists that weight programs in football especially have to change. Thought that was interesting. So does City. I'll say this. Yeah, artificial turf has evolved to the point where with the field turf and stuff, it's not like it used to be where, man, like when Carolina had artificial turf, boy, <laughs> that was like, you know, that was tough playing on concrete. But the field turf, uh, and I've been to a lot of, you know, with what I used to do covering national recruiting, Phil, I've been to just about every practice field, safe, you know, uh, every kind of field turf grass whatever like carolina of course has field turf and it's indoor but uh it's fine it's soft i mean really it's less hard than grass sometimes mm -hmm. but the weight training thing's interesting and, and i felt that uh 
you know, I, I, I think that it has evolved a bit. And if you, if you notice when Scott Cochran, who uh, went to Georgia to be an on the field coach from Bama, Alabama went to Indiana and got their strength staff. Um, and they're kind of a new age sort of deal. You know, Bama still has injuries, but uh, they don't have like the six or seven they normally do. Um, I think that part has improved a little bit. Uh, but you're right, uh, you know, and, and I think as things evolve uh, and these guys get bigger, stronger, faster, all that good stuff, you know, that is something to look at. So Evan has a big one. He says, hey, JC and Phil, for, put in my first email right after the UK win. Definitely a little lost in the sauce. I'll try to be more concise today. I've come to believe that's the reason Satterfield can't run his own offensive effectively is his thinking pattern, not his knowledge. That's a good, that could be the case. I, I don't know his brain. Um, all I know is what I see. Uh, but it, you know, you, uh, Evan goes on to say he gets too much into his own head, especially in high pressure situations. It ends up defeating himself before the ball is even snapped. I came to this idea after some rewatches where it's apparent that when the offense gets going, he can get in the flow. Uh, but as soon as he starts, he starts thinking the offense hits a ditch. I feel this lack of self-awareness extends to his players, creating a blind spot that leads to frustration. They're thinking too much because their coach is. Using Spurrier as a counterexample, his instincts allowed him to lock in on what he saw, and his ego prevented him from undermining his own judgment. Steve would just sit there on the sidelines cracking up as he ran the same play five in a row because he hit it the first four times, and it would work. He understood that the players on the field weren't the mental extension of some play-calling evil genius on the other sidelines. He just knew that the defense is just 11 college kids, most of which are trying a little too hard or kind of obsessed with not looking bad on national TV. So he bullied those kids like a good bully does. He leveraged what those kids were most afraid of and had them doubting themselves before the game was even in doubt. Football is as complicated as you make it. I feel this is a good foundation for understanding what's going on. I hear y'all's thoughts. Well, you know, Evan, that's a good point. We, we both, we all, our guests included, have sat here and said South Carolina's offense is better when they go a little faster. Yeah, yeah. And keep you, up the tempo. Yeah, keep up the tempo and, and, and get it going. I think that, you know, you can't overthink this game. And, and I'll say this, as far as the frustrations and things like that go, I don't know of a good play caller in football, any level, that's overly demonstrative now. You know, Tommy Reese at Notre Dame, I think, is a pretty good play caller, even though, my God, they lost to Stanford this weekend. Uh, and he got fired up and yelled and stuff. Uh, obviously, Ken Dorsey, <laughs> you know, got fired up in the booth. But if you ever watch those guys when they're actually calling it, when they lock in, there's very little emotion. Now, defense is a different story. Defensive coordinators jump around and holler and, and do all this stuff. I don't think Sat jumps around and hollers and does any of that, but I do think he gets emotional. Um, and, and I do think settling in and not thinking as much is probably part of it. And some people are just like that. I mean, Kurt Roper was that way to a certain extent. He would overthink it. Um, and, and, and I think you, you, there's a fine line between being way too simple uh, and then overthinking this game, especially in college. And you hit the nail on the head with Spurrier. I mean, I, I don't want to call him a bully, but that, that's exactly what he did. He's like, oh, shoot, he's not uncovering. Let's just go. Uh, there's, there's a story uh, a former LSU DB says, you know, and LSU used to not be that good, and Florida's just beating the snot out of him. He said Spurrier sat there and just told uh, Danny Werfel, he's like, throw it to this guy. And he went, the, the D-back looked at the sidelines because it, it was they, they were near Florida sidelines. And he was like, huh? 
sure enough, the kid ran an out pattern and, and called it. <laughs> it was like, that was the most embarrassing thing ever. <laughs> so, um, Chavis says, JC looks like the game will be decided by who scores the most. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 good. Uh, he did say laugh out loud, so he wasn't. You know, he he, he knew that. It's tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> Both teams are offensively challenged, and the Texas A&M front looks really good. Need a fast start if you're Satterfield. How do you attack? And ever thought about bringing in a retired offensive coordinator to show the breakdown on our O as a guest? He could even bring a defensive guest on as well. Might be a fun weekly guest. Yeah, we had GA on. Uh, Megan has to be careful though. He's still around town. Um, you know, he's not he's not gonna get here just bash it, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then and maybe he shouldn't, and maybe there's football reasons why not. But yeah, we always love guests like that. We'll, we'll we'll look around and see if there's somebody maybe outside of the market that could sit there and look at it and talk about it. But uh if I'm Satterfield, I'm 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 starting the first half against AM like I've Started the second half against Kentucky. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm operating at a a faster pace, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I, that I'm normally accustomed to, and I'm gonna, um, you know, I'm gonna get Spencer Rattler comfortable, and I'm gonna still try to run the ball with Lloyd. I mean, you don't just abandon the run uh, because Kentucky's got a good run defense as well. Um, obviously, Mississippi State doesn't run it a whole lot, but uh, they 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 didn't go far. I think Mississippi State maybe had two rushing yards. In that game, too? Yeah, it was it was it was a paltry number. <laughs> um so so we'll kind of see what happens. But uh all good points there, Chavis. Thanks for your your email uh there inside the game at gmail.com. Um going back. Uh Craiger says Beamer has to get us with Nike. Um that's an athletic department deal. You know, Shane, if you look at uh, Virginia Tech was Nike, Georgia was Nike, Oklahoma was Nike. So he's got some experience. I'm sure he knows, but Shane knows everybody. So yeah. uh, I'm sure that, uh, that that he'd be fine. I, I think the key there, if you go Nike or Jordan brand, uh, the, the key is going to be Dawn Staley um, and, and her presence because girls buy shoes too. Lots of them. <laughs> and so you need – I think that would be a tremendous marketing agreement uh, for Nike. And uh, as Keith said, they've already got a relationship. So uh, that would be good. And, and I, I would want them to get the Jordan brand like Florida and North Carolina and yeah. um, Oklahoma has because that, that kind of sets you apart. It sounds crazy to say football players like the the Jordan thing on their unit, but they do. So mm-hmm. – uh, I think it's cool. Daddy O says, you know, it's a crazy world we live in when the backwoods of Orangeburg County has had fiber broadband for five years, and most some metro areas don't. <laughs> uh, Cynical Aries says, uh, do you think our recruiting will suffer if Beamer doesn't make a change at OC? He's seen what an exciting offense looks like while at Oklahoma. Heck, yeah. I mean, honestly, Georgia in 2017 wasn't – they, they weren't light up the scoreboard good, but they, they were pretty good. That was Jim Chaney called that. And that's a quote-unquote pro-style system, but with really good play calling because I think uh, he's good. Zach says, Aries, I think everyone's hoping for this, but another question would be if we did make a change to a more college-style offense, would this set our guys back another year due to a major change? Uh, on that note, there's enough players going and coming or going after this year 
that I don't, I, you know, because like some of these offensive linemen, man, you don't want to give them something else, right? Because this, all right, so they had, they, they actually had Wolford, you know, at the end, but, you know, in 18, 19, and then 20. But what Bobo did on offense blocking scheme wise was a lot different than uh, what uh, BMAC was trying to do. Uh, and then you bring in Atkins and Satterfield, and that's completely different. Um, so the O line would be the ones that, that I would be worried about with with, with um, the skill guys. It, I mean, you know, a slant pattern is a slant pattern. A post is a post. I mean, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Quarterback, maybe it's it's something. Yeah, uh, but what's interesting is that some of these high flying offenses, you know, the ones you're just drooling over on TV, are actually more simple than what it is we do here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Mimi, our uh, jump man, that's what it's called, is a brand for kids. I say jump, jump man. Jump man. So, anyway, uh, Mimi says Mississippi State had 144 yards rushing against AM. They did run it against them, and they ran it. Uh, who they beat Arkansas pretty badly, mm, and they, they yeah. ran. Uh, I think they ran for over 100 against Arkansas too. So, you know, we will see. I I think AM gives up some rushing yards. Uh, there's some games they haven't, but then there's some games they have. Uh, so I think there'll be ability to do that. Zach said, "JC, you just reminded me of that UCF game when Mike Davis ran for a 53-yard touchdown." Tommy Suggs says, "Why only three touches in the first half?" And Todd Ellis says, don't overthink this game sometimes. Yeah, that game, that was that 28-25 great escape where everybody's mad after that one in 2013. Come to find out that's the only game UCF lost all year. (laughs) (laughs) We all love Art Browse and his – or we love the Art Browse offense here on the show, and and that UCF team smacked Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl 52-35, you know. He said Arkansas had 244 rushing yards against AM. Nobody's really stopped Arkansas from running the dang ball. No. The, the mm-hmm. high, and they got up off the mat too and beat BYU 5235. Yeah, they did. They the Rocky Mountains. Beautiful Provo, Utah. <laughs> so I, I don't know why they scheduled it, but hey, all's well that ends. Speaking, of, uh, Zach mentioned that UCF game. That was the same kind of thing for Gamecock fans. Like, why are, why are we playing a road game at UCF? Why? Who did this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you'd think, well, well, hey, fans get to go to Orlando. And Phil and I are very fond of Orlando, right? You yeah, know, it's oh, yeah. time. Uh, but the crazy thing about that year, Carolina went back for the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't even, wasn't even that. So, uh, you know, so we'll see definitely uh, what happens there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the offense. I think best case scenario, maybe uh, – Maybe there's some lessons learned about going get a, operating at a faster pace and things turn around. Rattler gets to has a good second half, gets the three thousand yards. Gamecocks won a lot of games, uh, that type of thing. Um, I think that would be the best case scenario uh, for this team. App State had 181 rushing. Miami had 175 rushing. So well, who knows, Phil? Maybe the game Marshawn Lloyd can rush for a lot of yards. Marshawn Lloyd might be a pretty good running back to hand the ball to. Yeah. <laughs> Joey says, Do you think the lack of knee pads or protection is a factor of all the knee injuries throughout college football? I don't know. I have noticed some guys aren't running with aren't using knee pads, though. I don't know about that. I don't know. And knee pads are not like a lot of that knee stuff, especially the worst of it's non contact. I mean, yeah, it's just you, the turf the just pops. grabs you the wrong way, or you're moving one way and the knee doesn't go that way naturally. And 
Craig says, I'll be checking my mailbox today, JC. Thanks again. Ah, mm-hmm. Craiger, uh, I went to the post office on Friday, and uh, there was a line out the door, and I didn't have 45 minutes to wait, so I'm going today. So check it this week. I'll save you a trip. I'll save you a trip. Uh, Daddy O says, if Carolina did, in fact, partner with Nike, Jumpman will be a requirement, in my opinion. If you're going to do it, just do it right. No pun intended, do right? It. Just do it right. <laughs> do it up right. So that's what I would Staley would definitely be pivotal in, in any of that switch to Nike. She, yeah. she would have the most influence over it. Outside so, of the athletic. Um, the Aggies are again doing their Yale practice, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. On the steps of the South Carolina State House. <laughs> so I could say so much about mm. that. It's hard to talk much. smack about them though, because they, you know, South Carolina's like the only team that hasn't had at least one. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what they've done. They 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 did lose to Florida because Muschamp beat them. So I'm trying to mm. think of uh, of. Uh, who else is maybe not beaten AM? I think Tennessee's only played them once, you know, but the teams that have played them multiple times, like South Carolina and the West teams, all those other West teams, I think, have a few wins over Texas AM. So the teams that play them every year have beaten them regularly, but but South Carolina. Uh, so you can't say anything, but I'll tell you this you win this one next time they come and try to do that, there should be a disruption. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody should just park an ice cream truck out there and play the fight game cop fight song over the speaker for the ice cream truck over and over. Over and over. That's a great idea. You could rotate that with Today by Smashing Pumpkins. That would be amazing. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, uh, Daddy says, please be a knucklehead and go down there and yell at the yellers. Please don't. don't Let let them have their yell. <laughs> I'm just, you know, my, my friends from Texas are like, you're either an Aggie or you're not. I, I, man, I don't know because the the orange. Thing, I think I'm predispositioned to not liking the color orange, right? Right, right. So maybe <laughs> I'd be like UT? Texas Tech fan, TCU. Yeah, maybe there you go. TCU. Got, they've got five or six fans. You know, mm-hmm. it's a nice shade <laughs> of purple. purple, though, guys. Yeah, <laughs> Baylor's colors are god awful. Yeah, Texas, Texas Techs. I don't know. I always think they're uniform. Maybe I'd just be an Oklahoma. I could pull for Oklahoma. You know, there you go. One mm-hmm. of those guys. You know, University of Houston. Rice. Plenty, plenty Rice. of great, plenty of great seats at Rice Stadium. <laughs> Anywhere so, you want to sit. Anywhere you want to sit. Come on, great seats available. We're playing it, you know. It's like that old joke Lewis Grizzard said about tech. You know, he's like, the guy pick up the phone, like, tech, ticket office. And like, well, what, what time's kickoff today? Do you have, uh, or do you have any seats today for today's game? It's like, well, yeah, we have plenty. He's like, oh, well, well uh, what time's you kicking off? So, like, what time can you be here? <laughs> I think I got that right. The great Lewis Grizzard, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so we're going to talk more about this game. Uh, tomorrow, are we wide open for now? Tomorrow, Phil? Uh, tomorrow, what Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. I don't think we have. Yeah, I don't think we've got anybody tomorrow, so yeah. we'll just chop yeah. it up. Wednesday, Tarpley, Jamie Bradford. Thursday will be Chris Phillips. Got some other guests we're trying to line up too. Wanda will be back on Friday. 
uh, and all that good stuff. So um, Keith goes, man, Keith, Keith chimes back in on the Nana sports chat box. We'll leave it at this. Mm-hmm. It's not a college football program. It would be considered a cult. Very weird stuff. Yes. Either naggy or you're not. Or you're not. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Anyway, uh, we'll have uh, plenty of A&M Carolina talk uh, moving forward. Um, and, oh, Queasy, we got to get this Hulk, uh, incredible Hulk reference. After the culture shock game, Texas A&M may not want to make Shane angry. They wouldn't like him when he's wouldn't angry. Like him when he's angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> and I don't know, man. David Barrett, he used to be so good, like the, the Hulk, and, and that's the Marvel version of it to me with a guy. I just don't – I'm just like, eh, I don't know. I'm not a big Marvel guy, though, so we'll talk more about that later. Thank you all for joining us today. A great Monday show. It should be a great week here as the Gamecocks end up uh, the, the week uh, playing A&M. The Aggie 7.30 p.m. kickoff once again. 4 p.m. kickoff for Missouri in two weeks. Uh, so the Big 12 portion of the schedule, you avoid the noon kickoff games. For Phil Mullinax, it's J.C. Sherbert. We'll see you tomorrow on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Have a great day, everyone.